we're in the last message in Courageous Leadership and talking about the legacy of a leader, the legacy of a leader. What do you want your legacy to be as a businessman, as a father, as a mother, as an employee? What, what do you want your legacy to be? How do you want to be remembered? And the key to that is people investing in your life and you letting people invest in your life. If you want a legacy, then your legacy is going to be in some way the sum total of all the people that have invested in you and that you've learned from. They're, they're going to make you, shape you, and mold you into who you are, what you become as a young man or a young woman and as a senior adult of the people that went before you that bought into the need to think that you were worth something. Uh, this week on uh, Friday, actually, uh, I got this email, and uh, I just want to read you a part of it. It says, Pastor, my dad was a Secret Service agent. We attended Sherwood when I was in seventh grade until I finished my sophomore year of high school. Sherwood is where I came to know the Lord, and I was blessed to be under Garrett Grubb's youth ministry. The four years I spent there at Sherwood started a strong biblical foundation for me that would eventually lead me into my first ministry. Now, I'm going to pause right there and tell you, this is the first time I've heard from this young man since he left the church in his sophomore year of high school. Had no idea where he was, had no idea what he was doing, nothing. And this email shows up, so he continues. I wanted to thank you for always loving and having a passion for the next generation. This greatly influenced me to surrender my life daily to the Lord from such a young age. God helped me through your teachings to realize that I could make a difference even in middle school and high school. The realization of my sin and my great need for Jesus daily changed the way I lived and still does today. Now, to be honest, I've struggled at times, but I've never lost what God has done for me all those years ago. Being under your leadership is still some of the most formative years in my spiritual journey. You brought me to a river of knowledge, introducing me to men like Ron Dunn, Warren Wiersbe, and one of my favorites, Charles Spurgeon. I'm so grateful for this. You challenged us as a youth to not focus on our age, but to focus on a life-changing message, Jesus is King. Now, next paragraph. Now remember, all I know is this kid was here from seventh grade to ninth grade. That's all I know. Yesterday, I started my first day as a children's pastor. I couldn't help but praise God for the men who have influenced my faith over the years. I'm nervous, excited, scared, and humbled that God has me in this role. More importantly, I'm encouraged when I think of men like you who have devoted their lives to the Creator God will take care of me just as he has you and so many others. God is good. So please say a prayer for me if you could that I may want the next generation the most. I'm praying for you and your ministry as well. That was worth coming to work for. Paul said to Timothy, the things which you have learned and heard and seen in me, 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 2, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. 
there are at least four generations in that one verse. At least four in that one verse. That Paul says, I, I've taught you, you teach others, and they will teach others. So what, what I want to do today in wrapping up this series is talk about mentoring and discipling and, and leaving a legacy with your life. How are you going to pour into the lives of other people? And there's two questions. Number one, how can I pass on to others what God has put in me? See, God didn't make you to be a silo as a storage container. He made you to be a delivery truck. How can I pass on to others what God has put into me? And the second question is, where do I look if I'm looking for a mentor? Where do I look what am I looking for? Who am I looking for? If I'm looking for a mentor to shape me and to mold me and to help me understand my purpose in life. You know, Jesus, when he called his disciples, he called them to be with him, to come to him, to follow him, to abide in him, to be with him. Now, there are all kinds of mentoring examples. You've got some in, in your notes. But here's what a mentor is. A mentor is somebody who has experiences and skills that they invest in someone else. Now, I'm not talking about teaching a trade, although it's not bad to apprentice and coach someone in a trade or in a job, but I'm talking about life skills, how we live life, how we do life. You see the quote by Webster on defining mentoring as a trusted counselor or guide. Here's another way to look at it. A mentor is like a loving uncle who salutes your successes and corrects your wrongdoings. It's the person that comes into your life and says, man, you're doing a great job, but also comes into your life and says, there's some things you need to work on. There's some things you need to fix. Mentoring may be a relatively new term to you. It may not be, but it is a very old, old model. Historically, it was used in medieval times and coming to the technological age. We don't get that much, but here's the biblical model. The biblical model is the development of character to make an eternal impact. The development of character to make an eternal impact. If I'm going to mentor or disciple someone, they're two different things but very similar, then I need to help develop their character for an eternal impact, to make a difference for the kingdom. You see this with Moses and Joshua, with Naomi and Ruth, with Barnabas and John Mark and Paul and Timothy. Each one of their protégés left a distinctive mark on the kingdom and on the culture. Now, in the family model, Deuteronomy says that the father is supposed to teach the children. They're supposed to mentor, teach, disciple the children in how they are supposed to live. And Deuteronomy 6 says you need to sit down and talk to them where, wherever you are, by the gate, at home. Wherever you are, you are to mentor and disciple and to teach your children. Here's why this is important today. Over 60% of those under the age of 18 don't live within 500 miles of their closest relatives. That means the grandma, the grandpa, the aunt, the uncle, they're, they're not close enough to influence during the developmental years. So who's going to do it? Who's going to do it? If, 
if the closest people, the family unit, has been spread out and people are constantly on the move in America today, if, if that's happening, then who is going to develop and mentor and disciple the next generation that don't have the aunt or uncle. You say, well, they can do FaceTime now and they can Skype. They can do it. Yeah, but it's, it's, I'm talking about personal. I'm talking about being there with them, being there for them, being in it with them, knowing what's going on in their life, not just by an occasional five minutes of texting. Who besides the family is loving and encouraging the next generation? to make a difference for the kingdom. Who besides the family is investing? This is why people need the church. This is why we are going uh, to adding another service. This is why we are making the efforts that we are making because the church needs to stand in the gap where the family is disintegrating. It needs the place to be the place that reinforces, not does the job of the family, but reinforces what a family should be doing. So here's the need for those who will model it. We need mentors personally. We need people that our children can look up to and say, that person influenced my life. We need people that our children can look up to. One of the, one of the greatest things we do in investing in our children in this church is Kids Rock on Sunday night. Moms and dads, we can't fix your kids at 15 if you won't let us help them at nine. We can't do it. We have the greatest staff and the greatest facilities in the world, but if you're staying home, we can't fix at 15 what we could have helped you do when they were seven and eight and nine. I'm not fussing at you. I'm just telling you, I have been 40 years at that, and too many parents and too many teenagers have gone through a crisis, and then they come to the church and want us to fix something, and I want to say, hey, man, we were here for 52 weeks out of the year. Where were you? You see, you're a mentor. As a dad, as a mom, you're a mentor. And you are either mentoring your children to love God or you're mentoring your children to stay home and not be with God's people. You're mentoring. You're teaching something. You're teaching something to your kids. Say, well, I work all week. Mm -hmm. Okay, so maybe what God needs to do is just take away your job. Then you can be home with your kids all week. Hey, you can come up with all the excuses in the world you want to come up with. Well, no, nothing in the Bible says we're supposed to be there on Sunday night. No, but it does say we're supposed to be there together. We're to forsake not the assembling of ourselves together. Why? Because you need what we're offering. Your kids need what we're offering. They need it more than you may know they need it because they've got too many other voices speaking into their life that are not telling them truth about what they need. You see, let me, let me give you the people limitation. So we can't do it all. We're just here to help. Okay, we can't do it all. Let's look at some people limitations. I cannot lead people longer than they are willing to follow. You can't either. I can't lead people longer than they are willing to follow. I can't lead people further than they are willing to go. I can't lead people faster than they are willing to change. And I can't lead people higher than they're willing to climb. Listen, nobody can do it for you. You got to be willing to follow, to go, to change, and to climb. Nobody can do that for you. I, I can't take you somewhere you don't want to go. 
I can offer to show you how to get there, but I cannot take you somewhere where you don't, do not want to go. Then there are personal limitations. I can't lead people beyond my leadership skills. I can't teach something I don't know. I mean, if you come to me and ask me, you know, how to fix a car, I, you know, I'm clueless. I used to change oil and plugs in my Volkswagen, but now it's all connected to a computer, and all I know how to do is just say, it's broke. I can't take somebody beyond my leadership skills. I can't lead people above my level of trust. They're trusting me, my trust in them. I can't lead people where I'm not willing to go. Not just pointing the way, but going that way. And I can't lead people if I lack a servant heart. I can't lead people if I lack a servant heart. You you see, what, what we're trying to do is say that Every one of us needs leaders and mentors and role models. Every one of us. Now, parents, your kids need five people on their board of directors. I've said this a couple of times over the last 28 years, but most of you probably can't remember it. Five people on your kids' board of directors. If you don't have five people on your kids' board of directors, you're endangering your child's spiritual health. Two parents, hopefully, If you're a single parent, then a parent and a relative, a teacher, a coach, and a minister. Why do you need five? Why do you need two parents or a parent and a relative, a teacher, a coach, and a minister? Here's why. To get a grip on something, you've got to have all five fingers. If you're trying to get a grip on your kids and on your kids' hearts with two fingers, you're not going to hold on to them well. You're not going to release them the way they need to be released. You need need five people on the board of directors, which means those are the people that they go to when they want advice. Those are the people that they listen to. Those are the people that they trust. Now, you, you may say, I'm not qualified. We're already at point number two, establishing the expectations. I'm not qualified, but I, before you ask somebody to mentor you or before you decide to mentor someone, You need to ask and answer these 10 questions. These questions apply not only to you if you're going to mentor someone, but to you if you're going to ask someone to mentor you. Here's why. Remember when Jesus told the story about the yoke? Come to me, my yoke is easy. The yoke is for two. And when you yoked up oxen or a mule, you you yoked a leader and a learner. You, you yoked an older one with a younger one, and the younger one had to learn how to walk in step with the older one so that its neck did not chafe. So the, the older one didn't need to get so far. The younger one, that that would be pulling, and the younger one didn't run ahead of the older one, so that would be stretching on the neck of the older one. They need to walk in step. And so when Jesus said, when you yoke up with me, you hook up with me, you walk in step with me. That's what you're doing. You're trying to find someone in your life that that you can walk in step with and learn how to walk the Christian life. So question number one, good question. Do you love Jesus? Do you love Jesus? Jesus said, if you love me, you feed my sheep. Jesus said, you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So the question number one is, do you love Jesus? 
Well, you may like Jesus, but do you love Jesus? You may like the thought of Jesus, but do you love Jesus? Question number two, do you love people? Second great commandment is do you love your neighbor as yourself? Do you love people? Why would you want people to invest in you if you don't like people? (laughs) I mean, and do you love people that are not like you? Or does everybody need to be like you? That would be a terrible world in which to live. I mean, if you just ask my two, my, just ask my two girls if everybody was like me, how miserable their life would be. <laughs> Do you love people? You see, if you're going to mentor, you've got to love people. If you're going to be mentored, you've got to love people because somebody's going to say some hard things to you. Number three, are you growing personally? Are you growing personally? Why would you want to ask somebody to help you do something you're not already doing? And age is not a sign of maturity. Growth is a sign of maturity. I mean, you can be 25 years old and be mature, and you can be 85 years old and still be immature. Age is not a sign of maturity. Are you growing personally? When's the last time that God spoke to your heart? When's the last time you acted on what God said when he spoke to your heart? Number four, are you willing to be transparent? Are you willing to be transparent? Bill Heibel says the tendency of some people is to romanticize mentoring. In reality, it's a reciprocal process. The healthy mentoring relationship, each participant learns from the other. So here's what happens. Are you willing to be transparent? The mentor is telling you where he struggled so that you won't make the same dumb mistakes. But you can't go to somebody and have them mentor you if you won't get honest about your struggles. Yeah, you know, I struggle. Well, name one. Uh, Well, you know, I just rather not do it. Then you're not going to be in a mentoring relationship long you got to name where the struggle is because you're being vulnerable with somebody to say, I need help in this area of my life. And that mentor can either help you or they'll say, I'm going to find somebody that can help you with that. Number five, are you willing to affirm and confront? Mentoring is not somebody scratching your back. It is affirming, but it's also confronting. It's a two-edged sword. Most people think they're better at something than they really are. Listen, let me tell you what a great mentor, mentor is. A great mentor is somebody that loves you, but they are not impressed by you. A great mentor is somebody that loves you, but they're not impressed by you, and they can get in your grill before you know it. They don't believe the smoke and mirrors. They're not impressed with your song and dance. It's like Roger Breland said, when you got on the truth bus after two weeks, everybody knew all your jokes and everybody had seen all your clothes. And after that, it's just we're riding this bus together. And we all know more about each other than we wish we knew. You see, the mentor is willing to affirm you and to build you up and encourage you. Not to, not to be an enabler, but to encourage you. But they're also willing to confront you. Number six, do you walk your talk? 
Do you walk your talk? In other words, are you honest? If you want to be mentored, are you being honest with him, saying, here's an area where I'm struggling. I'm struggling in having a quiet time. I'm struggling in reading my Bible. I'm struggling with sharing my faith. I'm struggling with giving. I don't like to serve people. Are you being honest? Are you walking the talk? Or are you going to say to them, I need you to help me get this area of my life in line? Number seven, are you committed to intercession? Because most of the battles that we fight are first fought in prayer. Amen. Are you committed to intercession? Why would anybody spend time trying to help you to become a godly person if you're not willing to spend time in prayer? Amen. Of all the things that Jesus did, the one thing the disciples said they wanted to learn more than anything other was, Lord, teach us to pray. Number eight, are you emotionally secure? Are you emotionally secure? You see, a mentoring and mentor relationship is not a codependency relationship. It's not that the mentor needs people to feel important, and it's not that the one being mentored needs to feel like somebody feels they're important. Number nine, will you make the time? Will you make the time? It takes time. It takes time to read, to study, to learn. Will you make the time as a mentor or someone being mentored? Number 10, are you willing to let them go? Now, this is a big one. This is a big one. There, there comes a time in a mentor relationship where you have to say, look, you've learned, now you go do that for somebody else. Amen. That's what Paul did with Timothy. He said, the things that you have learned and heard and seen in me, entrust to faithful witnesses who will teach other also. In other words, Paul says, Timothy, I'm passing the baton to you. It's your turn to do for somebody else what I've done for you is not just to get my tank full so I feel better and I learn a lot and I've got head a lot and I've got head knowledge. It's so that I can pass it on to somebody else. So let's look at the experiencing the joy of being mentored. And I have known that joy. I have known that joy. My first really would have been uh, my youth minister, James Miller. A few weeks ago, just out of the blue, one night about 9 o'clock, 79 years old, and out of the blue, he just called me. He said, Michael, just call and see how you're doing. I want to check on you. See if there's anything I needed to do for you. I mean, I'm not a young person anymore. You, you realize that, don't you? And he's not a youth minister anymore. He works at a funeral home. But, you know, I, I told him one day, I said, James, sometimes you work with people who got more life than church people. Uh, at least they look natural, you know. <laughs> Vance Havner, 15 years. We didn't get to see each other often. But when we did, to spend time with him, the letters back and forth, the conversations, the way that he taught me and structured me, his DNA is in my ministry and my view of ministry more than anyone else's. Now, here's what God did for me, and I think God can do for you. About the time a mentor would pass off the scene, God would raise up another one. So in 1986, Vance Havner died. In 1986 
was the first time I ever ate a meal with Ron Dunn, and I bought it. Remember I told you about uh, picking up John Bassanio last week in the message. Well, I went over to North Richland Hills Baptist Church. We were serving in Fort Worth, and I'd heard Ron in multiple conferences. I'd heard Ron in Kansas City when I was in seminary 12-plus years before, and I'd heard Ron around. I would go here. I loved to hear Ron Dunn preach. And so I went to this conference, and I said, do you have plans for lunch? Because I noticed at the noonday session, he wasn't eating lunch. And so I went up to him. I said, do you got any plans for lunch? He said, well, actually, no, I don't ever eat before I speak. He said, I like Mexican food. I said, okay. So he said, if you're buying, I'm going. I said, okay. <laughs> now, I'm, I'm, I'm poor as Job's turkey, but I'm going to buy lunch for Ron Dunn. Two and a half hours later, we left. And that began a relationship that lasted until he died of June 2001. While I was in the car leaving a conference with Jim Cimbala and Warren Wiersbe, I got a phone call that Ron had died. And a few years before that, Warren Wiersbe and I had begun a relationship. And I could call him, and he would ask me hard questions, what are you preaching on? And I'd tell him, so what are you going to do about verse 17? And I'd tell him, and he said, I don't think that's what verse 17 says. And okay, I'm going to get that Wiersbe commentary out and look at it and see what it says. <laughs> Like a friend of mine called him one day and he said, what are you preaching on? This is on a Saturday. He said, what are you preaching on? He said, I don't know. It's in the Bible somewhere. <laughs> but I've been blessed by the men that have invested in my life and by the, by the people that have come alongside me, warts and all, and loved me and helped me and taught me. By the way, I've been a staff member and been mentored by people in the church. When I was at Fort Worth, there was a guy named Howard Cleaver. Howard had the worst toupee in the history of humanity. It was like palm scum green. It was weird. And he only had one eye. The other one was, a, was an artificial eye, so he kind of looked at you like... Howard went as a counselor to youth camp for 52 consecutive years. He probably led more young people to Christ in the 10th grade cabin than all the youth ministers that ever served that church. I learned a lot about ministry from Howard Cleaver. He's just a common guy, but he loved people, and he especially loved kids. I look back over 15 years of youth ministry, and I can go to churches now. Ray Sanders, who's on uh, our Sherwood Pictures board, was one of my young people. Uh, he got saved and didn't know what to do, but wanted to have a quiet time. And so my parents had given me a desk when I was nine years old because I like to read. Even growing up, I like to read. And so they'd given me a desk when I was nine years old. And so I came home and told Terry, I said, I'm going to give Ray that desk. Ray was from a broken home had no money, and we gave Ray that desk for him to sit down and have his quiet time at. Randy Davis, who's a singles pastor at a church in Quail Springs in Oklahoma City, and guys that are in ministry all across the country, I think the last time we counted there, out of 15 years of youth ministry, there are 75 
young men and young women serving the Lord in full-time ministry somewhere in America today. You see, that lasts after I'm gone. Because then I'm hoping they're pouring into somebody like I poured into them. I'm hoping they're doing something for somebody like I did for them. And so, I, you know, being a pastor now, I, try, I always was trying to figure out how do I invest in, in other pastors? How do I do for guys in ministry what guys in ministry did for me? And so we started the Refresh Conference. And now we're in 35 times we've done that. They're not all here. We've traveled everywhere uh, doing it. In fact, I got a uh, text message yesterday, probably going to have the uh, state director from one of the states in the Midwest that's going to be here at our conference in September because they want to put five states together and do a conference in the Midwest uh, for pastors. We've given away thousands and thousands and thousands of books to these pastors. Every pastor that has come to a refresh conference since we started them, whatever, 2003 or whenever we started them, every pastor that's come has walked away with almost $1,000 worth of free books or Bible software. Because those guys come to a conference typically, especially when we're in a travel conference, and some of them are about to quit the ministry, some of them are discouraged, some of them have just been beaten up verbally and they're worn out. Their families are stressed out. They're coming in on four flat tires and we're just trying to put air in their tires and say, get back on the road and get back in ministry and don't quit. So we, we, we poured into them and we brought people into their lives. We've recommended books to them to read and podcasts to listen to. We've tried to surround them with people that have a life message of prayer and revival and the spirit-filled life. So here's, here's what's happened because Vance Havner told me that revival was the key to everything. Because revival is just a new awareness of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. So here's what one little scrawny old man taught me that I've tried to pass on. Four times we went to the International Mission Board and did a refresh conference, just me and Ken Jenkins with our praise team. And there are 400 people that work stateside for an International Mission Board. They handle the crisis of 4,500 missionaries around the world. Any crisis call, any situation, sending out training, coming home, medical leaves, whatever it is, it all goes through that, that area. We went four times at our own expense this church paid for it, for us to invest in stateside people. When I was at the Southern Baptist Convention in June, I had three people that were at those conferences that said to me, I cannot tell you what it did for us for you to come and pour into us and to teach us. And one guy walked up to me. This one was a little weird. One guy walked up to me, and he's going to listen to this podcast. So one guy walked up to me and said, I have... I have my cereal and you every morning for breakfast. <laughs> I said, what? He said, I listen to your podcast and I eat breakfast every morning. He said, I'm, you're still pouring into me. So we've done 35 of those conferences. About 3,000 people in ministry have gone through those conferences. If you take the average 
of a hundred people in a church, you do the math. How many tens of thousands of people because you helped us do refresh and you helped us do what God has called us to do to be a church that focuses on revival and prayer. The hundreds of thousands of people that those thousands of pastors have influenced. The things that you have learned and heard and seen in me impart to faithful men who will teach others also. In some ways it's exhausting, but it is also exhilarating. Uh, we wore ourselves out this year. We did three refresh conferences in four months, plus a revival conference at the Cove. By the time May was here, most of us were on life support. I mean, we were just, we were shot. But I've never been worn out doing anything any better. Now, why? Why should you mentor someone? Why should you be mentored? Because you have a burden. Because you have a burden for the next generation. Because you have a burden that people's lives would be different. You have a burden that the culture would not dictate what the church becomes, but the church would dictate what the culture becomes. So I pulled a letter out of my files that I got from a young guy that I still periodically uh, meet with and uh, spend time with. In fact, in, uh, on the uh, 20th, the night of the 20th, uh, Patrick Thompson, who's our church planner, who was on our staff for a little over two years as our youth minister. Uh, Patrick is a church planner in New York City on Long Island City. And Patrick's going to bring one of his staff members down for three days. And we're just going to spend time, Jim and I and some other staff members are just going to spend time pouring into those two men and trying to help them as they try to plant and establish and grow a church in New York City. Now, you know, and I know New York City is different than Albany, Georgia, but life is life, the Word is the Word, the truth is the truth, and the Spirit is the Spirit, and those things don't change anywhere. So I pulled a letter out. And actually, this is a letter that Patrick wrote me. I would like to ask you to consider becoming my mentor in ministry. You know much better than I what all that entails, but I'm willing to make a lasting commitment and any sacrifices that need to be made to meet the needs of such a relationship. There are some areas where I either need guidance or affirmation, pastoral leadership. How do I motivate lone rangers? How do I stay fresh, plan my preaching, get people to take responsibility? How do I take time for myself without feeling guilty? How do I differentiate between real responsibilities and imposed responsibilities? How do we move from a 50s mindset to a 21st century mindset for ministry? How do I get to where you are and will you take me with you when you go? You know, it's interesting. One of the questions I get asked more often than I would expect is how did Sherwood get so many men out of the church to be on the staff? So today, we've got Jim, Garrett, John, Ken, and Stephen. Five guys out of our ordained staff were laymen in this church or grew up in this church. And then you had Brian Kelly, who was one of my young people at Roswell Street when I was a youth minister there. That's six people on this staff that were not in ministry when I first got to know them. 
We didn't go to a seminary and look for somebody. We, went, we looked for two things, love for Jesus and loyalty to the church. Love for Jesus and loyalty to the church. We figured anything else anybody can learn. But you cannot learn love and you cannot learn loyalty. You're either love and you're loyal or you're not. And so they've come on staff and they've been a blessing to you. You see, them being a part of the staff has now gone to another generation to you. Now, I'm not saying this because I did a great job because we don't sit around and, and do a lot of stuff, but I can tell you, I knew that I could entrust them to do what I was asking this church to do. And that's why they're on this staff team. So I want to ask you to ask some questions as we close. Question number one, who are you pouring into? Who are you pouring into? Question number two, who are you training up to take your place? Who are you training up to take your place? Question number three, who are you preparing for future service? By the way, when you work in preschool and when you work in children and when you work in youth, you're preparing somebody for future service. Maybe not here, but you're preparing somebody for future service. Who are you preparing for future service? Who are you investing in so that they can serve the Lord somewhere down the road? And who is it that needs your time and your wisdom? On the night that uh, I surrendered to the Lordship of Christ under Vance Havner, and God began to talk to my heart about him mentoring me, there were eight of us that surrendered to ministry that night. Nobody else asked him to do that but me. It wasn't because I was the brightest bulb in the box. It's because I was the most desperate bulb in the box. And I was the one that needed it the most. Other guys were far ahead of me. Intellectually, athletically, on every level. And I knew I needed help if I was going to be what God wanted me to be. Last question. What will your legacy be when you pass off the scene? What will your legacy be when you pass off the scene? What did you teach somebody to do that nobody else could teach them to do? What did you invest in your kids, in your nieces, in your nephews? How did you pour into their lives so that one day when you pass off the scene, they say of you, oh, let me tell you what they taught me. Let me tell you how they taught me that. Let me tell you why I'm this way. Because this person did this in my life. Would you stand with me with heads bowed and eyes closed? With your eyes closed, I just want to ask you a question. First of all, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, none of this is going to make sense apart from Jesus. I mean, you can learn secular principles of mentoring and leadership 
But if you don't know the Lord, you don't have the most incredible resource of all, and that is God on your side. God in you, God with you, God on you. And if you don't know Christ, you'll see some of our men around that are wearing name tags, or you can go to the welcome desk and say, I need to trust Christ as my Lord and Savior today. But don't walk out of this building without knowing that you have a personal relationship with Christ. Now just a word to moms and dads and grandparents. What kind of mentoring are you doing? What, what's your legacy going to be? Dad, is your legacy going to be that your kids learned about the Bible from their Sunday school teachers and from Mark Scardino and from Garrett Grubbs, or is it going to be that they learn too at your feet? What's your legacy of faithfulness going to be? What's your legacy of serving going to be? You see, you model what the behavior you want. If you want right behavior in your children, you model it. Doesn't mean you're perfect. Nobody in this room is perfect. Nobody. But it means you have a path, you have a direction that you're walking down that you're trying to teach your kids. Because we reproduce what we are, not what we say. So are you modeling for your kids what you want them to model for somebody else? And who is it that you need to come alongside right now and say, hey, let me take you under my wing. Let me talk to you a little bit about what it means to walk with the Lord, to serve the Lord, to live for the Lord. You see, this is what everybody can do. Not just staff people. This is what everybody can do. Everybody's got something to offer. You may not have the whole package. You may not have the whole puzzle, but you've got a piece of the puzzle. And you can help model something to someone. That's being courageous. That's seeing somebody's doing something wrong and saying, hey, 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 come over here. Let me help you see how to do this the right way. And then you let them go. Just like a parent should let their children go and grow up and live their lives, you, you let the one that you've mentored go because you've invested in them and then you say, go teach somebody else. Father, we come today to the end of this series knowing that there's much more that could be said and there's much more that could be done. But Lord, the time of talking is, is over. Now we need to do what you've taught us. Lord, I pray that you'd help every mom and dad not to listen to the enemy that tries to tell them what they do in the spiritual realm doesn't matter or it's not important. I pray that you would Help us as a church to continue to be what that young man wrote about who is today serving a church in the Midwest as a children's pastor, married, three kids, trying to live his life for Jesus. So God, make us a church 
that mentors and disciples and encourages because the people are coming and we need to be ready to take them under our wings and lead them on this journey so that they don't fall into the ditch or run off on a detour, but they find a way to learn and to grow so that they can one day teach someone else. In Jesus' name, amen.